felt that just to have one message a couple of weeks ago on this and then to move on would, um, would not actually share the, the strength of what we need to, to go after in terms of God's presence. And so I want to focus on the thought of us journeying with him and becoming familiar with the presence of God. And, and by this time I want to be talking about becoming familiar with the presence of God in our personal daily lives. You know, last time I was sharing about the, the fact that Moses, I believe, was chosen because he understood and he valued God's presence when everyone else in, the, in his generation was shown to not value it. And God realized that in Moses he had someone who would actually value him because God's presence is him. Moses knew this, that when, when God's presence manifested in some way upon the earth, it was literally the king there. It hasn't changed. And when the king manifests himself in our atmosphere or upon us, all the resources of heaven are also there as well. And I, I shared that when I went to Bethel, I found that the anointing and the presence of God that was in that place, that we had actually experienced similar powerful touches of God's spirit here occasionally. Not in the kind of way that they're just living in there, but occasionally. And I found myself thinking, you know, when God has come that powerfully over the last couple of years, we've been, and I've been, content to just, well, that's nice, that's great, but we've got a program and we need to move on. Lunch is coming. We want to be able to get on to coffee and, and talking with people. And I don't think we've valued the presence of God when God has manifested himself in some way. You know, I think if Prince Harry and Meghan Markle entered the room today, we would be quite happy to stick around, especially if they were offering selfie opportunities. We wouldn't be actually saying, oh, look, I've got to get to coffee. Uh, I just need to go somewhere else. And if they were saying, actually, we're also offering um, the opportunity for afternoon tea with the Queen and we're paying for the airfares as well as the free afternoon tea, people would say, I'd really like a selfie with Megan. We'd be really keen to be there. And what I've come to realize is that when the Spirit of God presents himself to us in some way that we could almost say, I can't see you, God, but I can feel you in the atmosphere. I can sense your presence here really powerfully. It's like an invitation. He's saying, I'm here. How much do you want me? And he's wanting to see if people will value him and go after him and that that will become the benchmark of what they want to see the next experience in God um, being. And we can experience powerful anointings corporately, but they're developed as we hunger to experience them individually. And in other words, we are to journey ever deepening in ever deepening ways with God. And that's an amazing, amazing thing. We have been away on study, or at least I've been away on study leave, and Sandra came with me for some of that time, and we basically had three adventures. Last, last week I shared a little bit about our time in Bethel Church, but 
the second part, the second adventure that we had was that we chose to walk some of the Camino. Now we talked to some people and they said, you're traveling to Europe and you're gonna go walking? They just couldn't understand it whatsoever. But the Camino walk is a walk that's been done for th um, over a thousand years by different people. There's about five different walks. We decided we would take a very short one and only walk for 10 days, but you can walk for 10 months or more if you want to, right across Spain from France. So we went to Portugal and walked up the coast and then inland a little bit and on up through Portugal into Spain walking. And it was the most restorative thing I've ever done. I actually loved it. I didn't love it on the first night after about 11.30 at night, woken from sleep by a fire alarm and we're out on the street in Porto. And we'd walked 15 k's and I was sore. I discovered walking just 15 k's that I had to stretch in places that I hadn't stretched for a long, long time. And I, and I knew that we had to do a 32K walk on one of the days because we'd pre-booked where we were going. Can we bring up a couple of photos? That's the door that we went into. It was just a, a little apartment place in there. The next one, um, we eventually found that door. It took a while. And this was the kind of apartment we would often be staying in, just a single room uh, for the two of us. Well, anyway, the fire alarm goes and we, we had to um, get out until they'd checked everything out and, we were, and figure out how to turn the alarm off. So it was pretty late and I had a meltdown. I'm thinking, I can't walk 32 k's. And so we were, I'm on the internet trying to Google buses and trains and figure out where I'll be at certain places so that I don't have to walk this 32 k's. And, and there were others of about 25 k's and, and, and I'm thinking, I can't do this. And then at the end, we both just prayed and we said, God, we're just going to go and enjoy the journey. And if we don't get the 32Ks, then we'll find accommodation somewhere and we'll stay there the night instead of the one that we booked. But I hate the thought of having to spend twice for the same night somewhere. Any of you like that? No, don't, don't put your hand up. I know some of you are like that. But isn't it true that the journey actually is a lot of fun when you just start getting going? A couple of other pictures just so you get an idea. Portugal is full of corn. It's actually maize. It's not very nice to eat. It's, it's maize. Everywhere we went, there were cornfields. Another picture. This is the kind of place that we'd be walking through often, just a little lane in between fields, walls on either side, and grapevines over the top, but they weren't ripe. Another one. This was a doors to a monastery that we stayed in on one night. It was just an amazing, amazing time. And those are some of the... Um, some of the graves in the monastery, they really do them in a big way over there in the Catholic. We're very rural, so we saw all sorts of animals and more. And kind of fairly typical scene in Portugal and some of the little towns and things in Spain. You never know who's going to rush out for a selfie with you. <laughs> that was the motto, place that um, their, their, their village... Um, Mascot, that's the one. And of course, the coffee and things that you can eat are really lovely in another country. And this was where we got to, um, Santiago. This is the cathedral there. And um, the story is that the king of Spain in about 800 found some bones in a field that he recognized as being the Apostle James's bones. <laughs> he buried them in the cathedral. And ever since... 
people called pilgrims have been walking to Santiago. And this year, over a million people will do that walk and going to, to the cathedral there for all sorts of reasons. And uh, there's one or two more photos. This is the other side of the square where we were. And I think that's it. Is there anything else? Okay, okay. So journeying. You can have meltdowns in, journey, in our journeys. But walking with God, the Holy Spirit, is always a journey. And it's never static and it never stays still and there's always more. The Holy Spirit is the executive agent in the church age. So when, when the presence of God comes, when the presence of Jesus the King comes, when the presence of the Father comes, we're involved with the Holy Spirit in, in this age. He's been uh, poured out upon the earth at Pentecost, and he'll be here right the way through until the Bible says he'll be withdrawn out of the, the earth um, around the time in the last days, and it will not be a very good place to be without the Holy Spirit being here. So how aware are you of the Holy Spirit within you and the anointings of the Holy Spirit that can come upon you? Are you actually aware of when he's touching you, when he's drawing you, when he's speaking to you? And I'm asking that of me too. Whatever level we're at, there's more that we can experience. If you consider Moses, who I was talking about last time, we found him journeying deeper and deeper with God. When it all started for Moses, all he had was a prophecy. It was a prophecy that he would be used, and that's why he'd been plucked out of his own family and put into the, the Pharaoh's own home. And so Moses tried to, to fulfill the prophecy to set the children of Israel free. It doesn't work. He actually kills one of the Egyptians, and he flees. And the next time we see God coming to him and interacting with him is when he comes to the presence of God in the burning bush and a voice speaks out of the bush to him. And the next time we find Moses interacting, he's dealing with miracles and, and God's training him with his staff on how to confront Pharaoh and, and perform miracles. And we see miracles and signs and wonders taking place in his life. And then we find that he starts having encounters with God where he's moving into a cloud that descends um, for Moses. And in the cloud, he's able to see things and he's able to hear the voice of God really, really clearly until finally he's in this cloud. They're already at, they're out of Egypt and he's on top of a mountain and he's been in that place for 40 days and 40 nights. Can you see the deepening progression that Moses was being taken on by God? The journeying. And finally, Moses thinks, what's the ultimate? Can I actually see God face to face? And so he asks God the question, what does God say to him? You arrogant person, you, you, you're, you're going way past what's ever possible. No, he's delighted in Moses saying that. And he says, look, Moses, he said, I can't actually show you me from front on. You would just be incinerated. So he said, see that little cleft in the rock over there? And you know the story, Moses gets in the cleft of the rock and God says, I will put my hand over your eyes so you can't cheat. And I'll let, all of, I'll let all of me pass by and I'll take my hand away so you can see me, but you'll only see me from behind. And that's exactly what, what um, God gives permission for Moses to be able to do. And the amazing thing is that from that we find that the essence of God is goodness. He sees God's goodness. 
You know, if there's bad stuff happening around your life, it's not God. Our God is a good God. Moses was given permission to be able to see God face to face. And he saw the goodness of God. God's amazing. He's not like any other so-called God that's spoken about in this earth. The God that we serve is a God of goodness. You should be really encouraged by that. No matter what your circumstances, God's got good things for you because he can't work against his nature. He's not, he's not able to, 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 to say, I'm going to do something different to who he is. He's a God of love. He's a God of goodness. I reckon I'm preaching better than you're responding or hearing. <laughs> this is good news. This is why such wonderful things happen around your life for very little prayer. He's good. And incredibly, every single one of us are encouraged to go on a journey and to go forward with God, to go after God, to seek Him, and to ask to know Him more closely and to become intimate with, it, with Him. And God loves it. He delights. You know, many Christians, though, they know about God, but they're kind of like God at a distance. They prefer it if it's not too close with God because they haven't really imbibed the truth that God is good. They're worried that God's going to expose them, that God's going to ask something really hard of them, that God's going to have requirements that they can't fulfill. But God is good. And you know, the closer people get to God, the fewer people at that level. But his invitation is for every one of us. Come on, come forward, get to know me. You know, the Holy Spirit in relationship is very gentle. If you, if you think of Jesus, and, and when the Holy Spirit was, uh, when, when Jesus was marked um, by the Father, he was marked in a way that happened at his baptism. Do you remember how the Holy Spirit came to him? As a dove. Got it here. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain in him, on him. And I have seen and testified that this is God's chosen one. Now, friends, did, did Jesus do the miraculous, wonderful, supernatural things that he did by his own power, or was it by the Holy Spirit? Did he divest himself of all power in terms of his godness? You can answer me. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he did. He laid aside everything that would give him the ability to go... So he's actually a man showing what is possible in relationship with the Holy Spirit, with God, of what can, can take place. But the Holy Spirit, when he came on Jesus, came like a dove. He didn't, I don't, how do you picture the Holy Spirit being on Jesus? Do you, do you see him on his head? Do you see him on his shoulder? I, I have a picture of the Holy Spirit on his shoulder. I think that's the kind of place that it was. He didn't send a cat with claws. You know, because with a dove on your shoulder, and that, sh that dove remained. Yeah. With a dove on your shoulder, you can't turn too fast. A cat, you can, but you'll pay for it. <laughs> you can't run too fast with a dove on your shoulder. And you can't stay connected to him if you go over here and the dove wants to go over there, because the dove's got wings. 
So you've got to keep listening. And the dove's a gentle voice. And Jesus would have found what Isaiah found, that God wasn't in the earthquake and the fire and all the noisy stuff. He was in the still, small voice, Isaiah said. And Jesus is being shown, and the Holy Spirit's coming on Jesus as a dove. And you know, friends, that's just like us. The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes to us, we have to make sure we don't grieve him. So we can, we can, we can quiet the Holy Spirit. We can miss the things of the Holy Spirit. I wonder how much we actually miss of what the Holy Spirit's saying to us because of the busy-paced iPod in the ears, earbuds in our ears lifestyle that we live. Does the Holy Spirit, uh, the dove, peck it out? Now listen, John. How much do we miss? How well do you and I know the Holy Spirit? You know, there are places in the world where, we, where the church can't advertise because they would be attacked or arrested. And so the people have to ask the Holy Spirit, where's the church meeting this week? How would we do if next week we said, just ask the Holy Spirit where we're meeting, we're somewhere in Christchurch. How many of us would get, get there? But there are places in the world, and it's happened over and over again in different generations. I want you to have a look at these scriptures that I bring up here in Luke chapter 10. How would you cope in this scenario if, if Jesus said this to you? After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Oh dear. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house... First say peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And we're thinking about our journey with the Holy Spirit. How much better do we know him now than we did when we started back here? How aware of his promptings and his voice are we now aware that we missed when we'd only just come to know him? You know, it's been said of the early church that if the Holy Spirit were withdrawn from it, 90% of what the, what the church did would stop. It never got tested but it has been said of today's church that if the Holy Spirit were withdrawn from the church, 90% of what the church does would continue. Because most of us wouldn't notice that he was gone. How aware of this wonderful Spirit of God are we? How much attuned to him are we? Now Jesus is sending out his 72 disciples... And he's also, in our day, he's sending us out on various things as well. But in, this is the situation in his day. And they're to go out and do kingdom stuff, they're to heal, and they're to talk to people about Jesus, and they're to set it up so that when Jesus himself comes to their town, the people are all ready for him. 
Now imagine the briefing. Imagine what it was like. Get into twos. We're going to go to this town, this town, this town, this town, and this town. I want you to go in twos. Don't take any money. Don't take any extra clothes. Nothing. In fact, don't even take the extra pair of sandals for, for your smelly feet. You need to walk there, stay about 10 days, share about the kingdom of God, and seek to lead people to follow me, and meet back here, and we'll have a praise report. Okay? Go. Imagine the bedlam. People would go, what? Me? How? When? Where are the tickets? Who am I staying with? Why can't ten of us go together? Someone would say, it's much better when ten together than two. Someone else would say, can I take my guitar? What do you mean, walk? Is the town hall booked? What about the pamphlets? Most of the 72 would be thinking, this is the most disorganized, lame-brained organization I've ever been a part of. Nothing good will come of the next 10 days. But if we read down the passage, we find they all came back absolutely excited. They said, even the demons <laughs> obey your name. They had an amazing 10 days. But he sent them off with that much information. How would we do this? Let's have a mission. Shortly after I became a Christian, I was a youth pastor. and Oh, sorry, after I started working in the church, I was a youth pastor. And somehow I found myself saying that we'd, I'd organize a Christmas mission trip to Pawanui Beach. Now, I remember I got home that night and I thought, what have I done? So I rang my brother and I said, because he was a pastor at a church too, and I said, why don't both our churches go together? And he said, yeah, that's a great idea, because I wanted, I didn't want two. I wanted 40. Everyone knows more is better if you're going to try and reach people. And we, we organized many meetings, and we, we had to find people's strengths and organize cooks and musicians and testimonies, and we had to order tracts, and we prayed a lot. Oh, God, please bless what we're doing. And eventually I had this great idea. I thought I'll ask my friends and Christian surfers to come and they can run a surf contest. And, and then we got in the cars, Peter and I, and we visited the beach and we arranged accommodation and we put together a budget because Christmas was just around the corner. But look, at, look again at Jesus' plan. No budget, no accommodation, no program, no preparation. Just go. How would you do? Now, why would he do that? Well, it's obvious when you think about it and when it clicks. He wanted the 72 people to get connected to the Holy Spirit. They had to learn to hear and then obey. And Jesus clearly had a plan because look at the results that took place. And they came back incredibly excited. It's just that all the details were in the Holy Spirit. And he just told them what they actually needed and they could move out at that point. So here's the thing with our God. What God considers essential in a plan and that he th considers essential to tell us is very different to what we consider essential. Anyone found that? His plan is get connected to the Holy Spirit, listen to him and do what he says. John Scott did that. 
And the plan keeps unfolding. And then, once you've got in that state, stay totally dependent. Because unless he's involved, the thing is so big, it'll never happen anyway. Do you know the courses that John has written are being taught in various places around the world now, in YWAM bases, that John Scott wrote. And God spoke to him and said, I'll use you to do things around this globe. And the courses that he's done have been taken, by, picked up by the YWAM folk and have and been taught in various places around the globe. Isn't that cool? A man heard what God said and didn't come up with all these, what about the accommodation? Where are the tickets? What about the finance? Um, who's coming with me? You know, go. And he said, okay, I'll go with what you've told me, God. What's being illustrated here is the different way that we like to organize and run church or run our life and how God does it. We like all the details, we like order, we like plans, we like routines, and we especially like comfort. And those details, when we get them all, quieten us down and lull us down to the point where we actually think, well, I don't actually need God now. I know everything. I can do it. And God gets this back seat. Come along if you like, God. It would be great. In fact, do come because we want to pray to you from time to time. I wonder how many of those 72 had a bed on the first night. I'll bet they prayed harder as the dark came. Because <laughs> God had just said to them, release your peace. And if you find someone that's worthy, the peace of the Holy Spirit that you carry within, you can release. And if you find someone that's worthy, the peace of the Holy Spirit that's in you will go and rest on them and you will find they will open up their home to you and you will have conversations and you will be invited to their place. And once you get to their place, stay there for the whole number of days that I'm asking you to be in this place and eat everything that they've got in the fridge. Because <laughs> you're worthy of the, the recompense that's there. But if someone, as you're having these conversations and you're hoping that someone's going to hope in your home to you, if your peace goes out from you and doesn't find someone to alight upon, it will come back and be upon you again. There's a lot I could say on that, but I won't because just of time. You know, God's way of advancing life or ministry or church actually works. Man's way where we make plans and we dot the I's and we cross the T's and we get everything organized and we get a group together to do it. In other words, human thinking and human rationale produces very little result. But when we obey the nudge of the Holy Spirit to do something that he's speaking to us about, we begin to see kingdom things take place. Am I preaching the truth? It's absolutely the truth. And so what I'm talking about, about the presence of God and getting to know the Holy Spirit and knowing when he's upon us and with us is so important because otherwise all we've got left is our best ideas. And the results are pretty small. And these two tracks are always running in our life. Maybe it's in your business. God's got better business plans than you have for your business. 
Maybe it's in your life. God's got better life plans than you have for your life. Maybe it's in your ministry. God's got better plans than you have for your life. And there's these two tracks. And he says, step over into my track and see what I can do in the adventure that I'll take you on. I won't tell you all the details, but the Holy Spirit knows it all and he's got great plans. Or stay over here and live the Christian life in the safe, orderly, comfortable, convenient way of doing things. He's always saying, come across. Get to know me. You know, one of the most sensible things we can do is develop an awareness of, of, of our God. How aware of you are you to that soft voice of the leading of the Holy Spirit? You know, when pilots are trained, they, they are trained in, often in a simulator. They spend countless hours in simulators. And they learn how to deal with every emergency that might happen, every breakdown that might happen. They learn all the backups that are there. But there's one backup that they can't back up. And that is in the, that they can't have just automatic things for. The pilot has to actually learn to recognize the um, feelings and, and the symptoms that are taking place on their own body. And that's in the area of oxygen. Because if the oxygen uh, breaks down in, in the uh, aircraft, um, and, it, and the backup would then kick in, but what happens if the backup also breaks down? Before anyone knew there was a problem, everyone would have gone unconscious, and the plane would crash. So what they do is they put the pilots in there, and they keep cutting the amount of oxygen down until the pilots are just about to faint, and then they bring the oxygen back in. And the pilots just sit there and write down everything that's happening within their body. And they say that for one person, as the oxygen level gets to that really critical point, their leg muscles will twitch. And for another person, their eye will have an indication. For another person, the hairs on the back of their arm will stand straight up. And they train these men and women to know that when that's happening, they must put oxygen manually override into the aircraft. But they've trained their bodies to actually know the sensations that take place when they're at that critical moment. How many of us have trained our senses to know what it's like when the anointings that come from Jesus, the anointings of the Holy Spirit are upon us? Are we aware when he's, when he's talking or when he's leading us or where he's drawing us, calling us apart of those things? Many, I think, are actually, of us are actually ignorant of the things that God is saying and doing. And even if we know God's there, what do we do with that? What is God wanting us to do with that? How much do we miss? Hebrews 5.14 says, But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You know, one of the courses that we offer here as a church um, majors on learning to experience the Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the course Firestarters. I hope everybody with, within the church will do this because it constantly puts us in situations where we're expecting to hear and follow the Holy Spirit. And we get, in, get into a situation, the course puts you in situations where it's not getting it right or wrong because, you see, you can't learn anything without lots of mistakes. That's true, isn't it? 
even in terms of the Holy Spirit's leading and drawing upon us, the course actually celebrates the fact that you had a go. Whether it went fantastic and definitely was God, or whether actually it was just a, you missed it. But people will celebrate you in that. You know, for me, the time that I love most of all is when I wake in the night. Or when I'm waking in the early morning time that's there. That's the time that I sense the Holy Spirit with me and upon me more than any other time in the day. That's an amazing time. I, just, I like to kind of be between awake and asleep because I just find the Holy Spirit's there. It's the time when, when God speaks to me. Sometimes I've, in those moments, he's just downloaded a whole sermon. And I go, wow. I get up and write it down quickly. Because you see... When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it's like the light goes on. Yeah. If you don't respond to that, the light goes off. And you wake in the morning and you think, what did God say? It seemed so wonderful at the time, but I miss it. Yeah. Miss it. I love that time. I often, I check to see whether Sandra's awake, and if she's not, I put my hands up in the air and I worship God in my heart. I just have my own quiet worship time because I can just sense the Spirit of God just right there right upon me. How is it for you? What is the best time that you have? What are you learning about when the Holy Spirit is with you and upon you? You know, if we will become more attuned and aware of our body signals, our mind signals, our heart and emotion signals, let me just ask you this. Do you know when the Holy Spirit is upon a particular verse that you've been reading in the Bible and he's speaking directly to you out of the verse? Or do you miss it? It's so light. It's so... Was that God? You know, God said to us, when you go on these, this overseas thing, you know, God, God looks after the sojourners. But I could have missed that. Can, can you hear God's voice through, through the scriptures that are there? Because that's just so important. When you, when you find that God, God gives you a verse like that, and I'll stop with this, um, ask yourself and, and look at your body and say, what is my heart signaling? What is my heart feeling right at this moment? I'll come back to some other things another time. You know, God's ways are not our ways. And the Father wants to connect us with the Holy Spirit to the point where he could send us away like he did with the others and we wouldn't have too many nights with no accommodation. <laughs> they would have had their meltdown moment when they got those instructions and they would have said, I can't, it's too much. But eventually they would have said, well, let's just go and see what happens. And I spent a night on Athens Airport on the tiles it's not good for your pride, but you do sleep. It's not that bad. But I'll guarantee in the morning they were tuning into the Holy Spirit like they'd never tuned into the Holy Spirit before because the Holy Spirit had the details. And you know the Holy Spirit has got the details for us too. think it would be great if we actually have a time of response <laughs> to what John's been saying. Um.